Thank you very much. This is uh, uh, February 10th. Our lesson for the morning is to love and not to fear. Our text is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which reads as follows. If there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. Nope, before we go that far, let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name. Of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. Before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, let me spend a few minutes dealing with the seminal idea behind preaching. There's a difference between a preacher and a prophet. A prophet repeats the exact words that the Lord speaks to him. In the book of Deuteronomy, God gave the prophet Moses the Ten Commandments. The commandments start in Exodus 20, verse 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. The Bible says that God spoke these words. And Moses was a prophet as he relayed to the Israelites exactly that which God said to him. Now, preachers are different from prophets in that we are called to take the word of God that is relayed to us by the prophet and then give the sense of the word so the people can understand the application of the word for their lives. God's word gives us an example in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4 through 9. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood six preachers, And at his left hand, seven preachers. And Ezra opened up the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, 13 preachers and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book 
in the law of God. And these group of men gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, why would the people weep? When they heard the words of the law, they recognized that they had not kept the tenets of the law. They wept because the word convicted them of sin. The priests and Levites read the word of God because we, in the normative case, do not think like God and cannot begin to behave in the way that God commands unless we are specifically educated by exposure to his word. Because of our natural sinfulness, our sinful nature, our thoughts will not naturally lead us to do that which the Lord wants us to do. Biblical morality and obedience to God do not come naturally to us. We require the instructive intervention of the word of God. Isaiah 55, 7-11 tells us, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. Now, I generally say in most sermons that the principles that I have gleaned from the Word of God are counterintuitive to us, meaning that we would not decide to behave as God commands us by our own intuition. This is because we normally don't think like God. Not only are we handicapped against following the Word of God by the innate difference in the way that we think, we are also intentionally hindered by the activities of the adversary. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 11 tells us, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we endeavor to conform to that which God desires, we find ourselves with two forces against us, our sin nature and the administration of the adversary. Now, the antidote for these forces is our understanding of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, both of which are available to us so that we can make the conscious decisions to live in the manner 
in which the Lord commands us. Understand that to live for the Lord requires a conscious commitment. People generally have to receive instructions in the scriptures and make a conscious confession of faith in Christ in order to be part of the church. We're given an example in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 42, in which Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost to the multitude that had been drawn by the activity of the Holy Spirit among the disciples. Peter said, therefore, that all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So active participation in Christianity requires constant spiritual growth. As long as we are living on the earth, we are called to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When we are faced with the fact that our understanding of the truth of the scripture is progressive, increasing as we increase in maturity, we constantly find ourselves faced with the choice to either maintain the carnal, earthly, self-centered parts of our perspective or to eliminate them as we embrace an increasing knowledge of the perspective of the Spirit of God. Yes, I know that you think that you are right. I know that you think that you have a good reason to do that which you are doing. We all like to think that we are right and that we can reasonably justify our plans, even if that which we plan to do conflicts with the word of God. But we should recognize that our knowledge is partial and our perspectives are not perfect as they come from our short-term desires to have that which we want to fulfill an immediate emotional need rather than the long-term goal of God, which is our sanctification. James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 14 through 20, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, we often come into our marital situations with that which I call preconceived misconceptions based upon our own opinions, 
our previous experiences, that which we read in books other than the Bible, and that which we hear in the mass media. When Paul entered Corinth to plant a church there, he faced a culture similar to ours, one with a secular perspective and a great history of education. The Corinthians were trained to think in the deductive manner of the Grecian philosophical culture, but Paul the preacher came to Corinth with a different perspective. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 tells us, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I was determined to know nothing, to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, as we've been discussing the politics between husband and wife, we have looked at commandments of God that fly in the face of the thinking of the culture. Let me talk for a moment about men that have extramarital affairs. I was reading the writing of a marriage and family council that is often faced with trying to put a marriage back together that has been torn by the husband's infidelity. The counselor writes, my experience, is, experience tells me that since men seem to be afflicted with purient thoughts about sex about seven times a day, the right hussy with the right words and the right moment can easily cause a man to have a moral failure. Having counseled men who have had affairs, I think several things are important to know. While I have known happy men who have had one-night stands and all regretted it later, I have never known a happy man who initiated or who was involved in an affair. Affairs start and are fueled by something missing in the marriage, and it generally isn't sex. The affairs that I have known about started with a man who is depressed and alone on a park bench or talking into an adult beverage. A man who is alone usually isn't alone long. And the men that I've known over the last two decades who have had affairs had been telegraphing their unhappiness to their wives for years before they just gave up. Their complaints fell on deaf ears. Then come the affairs. Then come the wife's tears about how she's been warned, war wronged and how her feelings are hurt. And while this scenario is not the root of all affairs, it is definitely a common situation. Now, some men are narcissistic and or lack the carrier to act character to actually maintain their vows. But in the normative case, men do not fall into that category. Many unfaithful men are very disappointed with themselves because of their moral failure, but are simply starving for the proper type of companionship. Generally, when the counselor asks the husband who has had an affair why, he usually first says, I don't know, which later shifts into, is how the woman with which I had the affair made me feel about myself. Now, Katie was speaking to her counselor about the problem she was having with her husband. Katie said, I've been married for going on six years, and we don't seem to have the ability to stop fighting. But I'm starting to get the feeling that it might be because of me. Usually when I lose control of the fight, I ask him to leave, and he tells me 
you always run away from the situation and you don't like to like to face things because you didn't have a dad you don't know how to treat a husband and blah 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 i just need some advice the counselor said well he's right right katie said i think so the counselor said you've been treating him very badly and one of these days when you ask him to leave, he's not coming back. Don't test him. Don't test him to see if he's just like your dad. Because if you push hard enough, somebody's going to fall out. Katie started, but my thing is, and the counselor cut her off, are you listening to me? Katie says, yes, but my mom was super good to my stepdad. He raised me, basically. She would give him back rubs when he came home and everything. The counselor said, Katie, okay, you saw your mother give back rubs to your stepdad, but why are you mistreating your husband? Katie said, he left my mom anyway. The counselor said, okay, your stepdad left your mom, but my question was, why are you mistreating your husband? Katie said, I guess I just, I don't know. And the counselor said, Katie, think, this is your life. If you wanted to improve, you have to to actually think about what you are doing. You are mistreating your husband. You are trying to throw him out. Let's just jump to the big why. How do you think your life will be better if you're alone? Katie said, well, it won't. And the counselor said, yes, it will in some way, at least in your mind. You won't have anybody demanding anything of you or expecting anything of you. What is it? How will your life be better if you don't have a man? Katie said, I won't be so scared. The counselor said, of what? Katie said, of him leaving me. The counselor said, well, do you want him to leave? Katie said, no, I want him to stay, but I'm afraid he's going to leave. So the counselor said, your fear is making you act backwards. I'm scared that my man is going to leave me, so I'll be terrible to him. He'll leave, and then I can say, you see, I was right. That's what you are doing. Everybody is scared that they're going to be left. That's the most natural state of human beings who want to be connected. Katie said, but no man in my life has ever stayed long enough. Colin said, but Katie, your actions are pushing them away. If you keep pushing them away, you'll make it 100 for 100. Let's see. Will a fly stay on the table if you keep swatting at it? Katie said, no. Counselor said, well, will a fly stay on the table if you sprinkle sugar on the table? Counselor said, uh, Katie said, yes. Counselor said, then sprinkle the sugar if you want the fly to stay. Become the wife that you'd rather die than not come home to, and you'll never lose your man. Four Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders could dance naked on his desk, and he'd still come home to you if you act like the kind of wife that he'd rather die than not come home to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Katie said, yes, it makes a lot of sense. The counselor said, do you want to keep him? Katie says, yes. The counselor said, well, make him so happy that he doesn't want to go to the bathroom because he would have to leave the room that you're in. The counselor said, well, okay. Now, that's how you get the insurance policy. Show him admiration and respect and appreciation and a lot of affection. Have a good time with him, and he'll be counting the hours until he can come home. 
You couldn't get him to leave you if you treat him right. Why would he want to leave the one person in the world that he's comfortable with, the one that makes him feel like a man, the one that makes him feel alive, that gives him a purpose for living? Do you think he could leave that? Katie said, no. Then stop pushing him and start pulling him. And Katie said, okay. Our personal discomforts, our personal self-consciousness, and our focus on the bad experiences in our history all combine to make us defensive. Once we become defensive, we find it difficult to allow ourselves to experience the joy that the Lord has for us in our relationships. Katie's defensiveness led her into an adversarial relationship with her husband and drew her inexorably exorably, toward the dissolution of her marriage that she consciously did not want. Job chapter 3, verse 25 and 26 tells us, For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Unfortunately, in our culture, it has become conventional wisdom that women should maintain an adversarial relationship with their husbands so that their independence will not be swallowed up by their husband's dominance. And at the opposite pole, men are challenged by the culture to be the head of their house in a macho paramilitary sense and thus maintain their masculine status. This type of polar adversarial relationship is based upon the fear that if we do not maintain an adversarial relationship, we will lose status to our partner. The feelings of our adversary, who also happens to be our spouse, then become the least of our concerns. As a matter of fact, we begin to obtain a perverse pleasure in seeing our adversary hurting and feel justified in acting in such a way that exacerbates the hurt. After all, we rationalize to ourselves, they have it coming. Everybody says so. But when either or both of the partners in a marital relationship accept the idea that their relationship is supposed to be an adversarial one, the idea creates a problem in the marriage that is difficult to overcome. When either one of the partners in a marital relationship feels and or displays disdain, indifference, or a lack of caring about the feeling of the other partner, the display of disdain creates a problem in the marriage that is difficult to overcome. And the major problem with this type of situation is that the adversarial partner or the partner displaying the disdain feels justified in their position and is, not, and is thus not motivated to correct the misconception. The fact that Katie's stepfather left her mother gave Katie in her mind permission to mistreat her husband before he mistreated her. And as I mentioned earlier in the message, our negative ungodly feelings and thoughts are generally reinforced both by our culture and by the adversary. Many of the people who run our media culture have wrecked relationships and they want others to have, relation, to have relationships that follow suit so that they can maintain a sanguine attitude toward their own relationship failure. Misery loves company. The adversary wants us to be desensitized to the word of God and to one another 
so that he can, for his own perverse pleasure, persuade us to act in an ungodly fashion. A woman related a story that communicated this truth. As she was sitting with her best girlfriend chatting, she woke up to the realization that she had never paid much attention to her husband's feelings. She asked her friend a personal question and then ended the question by adding that she hoped her friend didn't mind her asking that she wasn't offending her or hurting her feelings with the question. Her friend said, nothing you do will ever offend me or bother me. You're not like my husband who regularly, regularly bothers and offends me. She then got to thinking about her own husband and how he had a tendency to frequently get on her nerves. Later that week, she got into one of their typical arguments with her husband, complete with defensive nasty jabs. As she later considered the situation, she said, then like a slap in the face, it hit me. I was taking advantage of him without considering his feelings. I always considered my girlfriend's feelings because I didn't want to offend her or make her mad or lose her friendship. But I didn't have the same consideration for my own husband. I realized that I didn't care about his feelings at all. And the truth of the matter is, of all the people that we know, we are more likely to give ourselves permission to exhibit a lack of sensitivity to our spouses than to other people. We feel that we have to be polite in educational, occupational, or public situations to not be thought of as boorish, and we have to be nice to our friends so that we do not offend and then lose them. Our husbands or our wife, however, resides with us at home, the place in which we can unwind, and they really don't have any other place to go, so they just have to stay there and take it. We can unload on our spouses or ignore them without considering their feelings, because what are they going to do about it? Well, the Lord does not agree with your position. He tells us in the text, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. None of our experiences are perfect. We live in a world full of flawed people. Even the people that we most trust to take care of us are human and have weaknesses and imperfections. When the people in the book of Nehemiah heard the word of God, they recognized their weaknesses and wept. When we recognize our flaws, we ought weep as did the Israelites in that time. Jesus wept because of our sinfulness. He not only wept, but he suffered. He suffered so that we could overcome our defensiveness, overcome our faults and our flaws. We are called not to indulge our fears and our pain, but to cast all of our cares upon the Lord and look forward to the time that he will provide us comfort either by relieving the pressure of the situations in which we find ourselves or taking, away, taking us away from the trials altogether. In the meantime, 
Our job is to emulate his example of kindness and perseverance. We ought not push our spouses away and use them negatively, but we ought to emulate Jesus' example and give ourselves to them. Ephesians 4.31-5.2 through 5, 2 tells us, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So let us not be overcome by negativity, but let us embrace our negative experiences as did Jesus, and rather than act in fear or disdain, let us overcome negativity by our sacrificial giving of ourselves. God has not given us a spirit of fear, so we have relationship fears by choice. We can choose to indulge our fear by shooting first, or we can endure the scary situations and arise victoriously in the end. 1 Peter 2.21-25 tells us, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer, of your souls. It is a large task to suffer for someone else, but we have a large Savior that died for us. Let us remember Jesus Christ when faced with fear and emulate his example to bear the burden and love in spite of the fear, to commit ourselves to the mercy of God, which he ensures us is ours. Let us love one another, even as Christ has loved us. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this lesson this morning, and we thank you for the relationships that we have. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us not a spirit of fear, that you would take away from us the spirit of defensiveness that causes us to lash out before something bad can happen to us. And help us to be open and help us to be loving and help us to follow the example that you have given us. That when we vow, we do not curse and that we bless. Just help us, Lord, to make our relationships, relationships of love, of peace and prayer, just bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken. That as we go down from this place, we might be able to live lives according to your word that will be pleasing in your sight. And, Lord, we thank you for the example that you have given us through your word and also through the life of your son who died for us. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your mercy, for your goodness, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. 
arising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank God. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us another chance to come out uh, to your house. We thank you that uh, uh, that the, that the inclement weather has not stopped everybody, and that we are here today. We thank you that uh, you've given us ways and means to come across the dangerous highways and make it, given us traveling mercies, and have uh, brought us out. And we thank you for the message that you've given us, and we ask you that you would continue to let it be something that will help us as we go down from this place. Praying for Dr. Allen and his family, asking you to continue to bless them. And we're praying for Sister Allen, Lord, and we're asking you that you would give her equilibrium as she uh, has to travel on the dangerous sidewalks and staircases of the city. We ask you, Lord, that you'd uh, allow her to uh, maintain her balance and not fall as she goes out to the various places that she must go. Just keep her safe and uh, just safeguard her there. We thank you, Lord, that her husband and her daughter have come out today to be with us, and we ask you, Lord, that you continue to bless them uh, with the blessing that you know that they stand in need of. We pray for uh, Tekika's husband, and we ask you, Lord, that at the, at the end of his term of incarceration, when they get back together, that uh, they would be able to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. We ask you that you would bless them and that you would give them maturity and give them the ability, Lord, to actually follow that which you have to say. Uh, we, ask you, we ask you, Lord, that you give them not just the knowledge of the word, but also give them the ability to do that which the word has to say. Now we're continuing in prayer for the store, for Brother Wilson, for Brother Hardrick, those are in the hospital, and Sister Allen's family. We're asking you uh, that you continue to go with them and stand by them, guide them and direct them, uh, give their doctor skill as they minister to them. And now I'm praying for those about whom my wife is concerned. We're praying for Paul, and we're asking you, Lord, that you keep him safe. He's a, he's a busy boy. And we're asking you, Lord, that you allow his busyness to be profitable to him. We're thanking you, Lord, and we're asking you, Lord, that as he has to travel the distances that he does, that you keep him safe as well. Allow, his, uh, allow him to have good transportation and let everything go well with that. And then allow him and his leadership position uh, to do a good job managing the operation in which he is in charge. We just thank you, Lord. We ask you to continue to give him technical skill for that which he is doing, that he might be able to do it well. Praying for Mother Lavinia Versa this morning, Lord, as she seems to be afflicted by report of some type of dementia. And we ask you, Lord, that you would uh, relieve that mental distress. We ask you that you would go into her and, and open up those... Uh, those synapses that may have become dormant and allow them to fire once again. Just heal her brain that she might be able to communicate with her daughter and with her other loved ones, and we just want to thank you for that as well. And We just want to also pray, Lord, your comfort on the family of uh, Brother Cecil Wills, uh, Sister Johnny Mae Wills, and all of her many, many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that whole family. We thank you for the wonderful homegoing service that they had yesterday, that the comfort that was given to all in the family. And we ask you, Lord, that you let those young men uh, who are following in his footsteps, his sons and his grandsons, uh, we just ask you, Lord, that you give them the same kind of centered focus that he had, 
just make them good churchmen as well as good husbands and fathers that they might be able to carry on his legacy as well. And we're praying for the other ones that um, my wife has asked us to pray for. We pray for our mother as well. Just keep her safe and keep her strong as she has recovered from her situation. Just keep her recovered and we thank you for it. Now, Lord, we're praying for Rick who's over on the battlefield and we're asking you, Lord, that you keep him safe from all hurt, harm, and danger, that you'd allow him to uh, make it back home at the appointed time, let that tour of duty uh, be successful both from a military standpoint and from a safety standpoint, that he might be able to do the job and learn the skills that they have given him and then that he'd be able to make it back home and <clears throat> should he decide to transition to civilian life, we just ask you, Lord, that you give him some skills from that experience that he might be able to use to support himself and his family. We're praying for his wife as well, and we're asking you, Lord, that you'd keep her. Uh, give her the mind to be, uh, to be strong as her husband is away. And we just ask you, Lord, that you'd go with her and stand by her, God and director, and all that she does. Also praying for Eric and Amanda, and we're asking you, Lord, that you bless as that child is on, is on the way. And we just ask you, Lord, that you allow the end of that gestation period to go well. And we ask you, Lord, that you allow the child to be strong and healthy and let the two of them be bound together with cords of love that cannot be broken as they take on this child-raising responsibility. Pray for Brother Edwards this morning, and we ask you that you bless him and, uh, as he is in, as he's assembling his system. And we ask you, Lord, that you give him that which he requires technically, that he might be able to get that done. We pray for his children and his wife. And we ask you that you give all of them who are in school in that house that steel trap mind that they need in order to do well in their academic studies and allow them to enjoy themselves and just keep him safe as he travels up and down a dangerous highway between here and Grand Rapids every day. And we thank you for Pray for Brother Lee and his family. We're asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless them and go with them and stand by them. We ask you, Lord, that, uh, that you bless uh, Cedric, uh, even as he's taking this test, uh, that he would be able to uh, receive the scholarship that he was uh, applying for uh, based upon the results of that test. Uh, we, just ask, we just ask you, Lord, that you continue to bless his big brother, uh, Darius, who's out in Pennsylvania, as he finishes up his collegiate career. We ask you that you give him focus in these last months and allow him to complete that academic career with honors that he might be able to move on to the next phase of his life. Praying for uh, Samuel Lani and Peyton Cole that you that he's asked us to pray for as well as the other ones that we have on the list and we're asking you Lord that you just go with them and stand by them all that uh, all that he's asked us to pray for we ask you to go into their sick rooms and go into their situations and be with them hello we're praying for the McClure's as well we thank you that you've given them traveling mercies to make it here today and we ask you that you give them traveling mercies to make it home this week and make it home today and then to go to and fro this week. And we're praying for their children who are away at college. And we're asking, Lord, that that college experience would be profitable for the both of them, that they might be able to do those things that are required that uh, will allow them to do well on their final exams and come home with a good report. And we just ask you, Lord, that you go with them and stand by them. Keep them safe in those environments that they are in. Do not allow the, the situations that go on there to affect them negatively and then bring them home at the appointed time. We, want to add, we also want to pray for all those whom the McClure's have asked us to pray for, for Sister Veronica O and his family. We ask you that you give them strength as they are going through the experience that they are going through, and we thank you for it. Praying for Brother and Sister Winston as well. Asking you to continue to bless Brother Winston after his surgery, allow that knee to heal completely, 
and we just ask you that you go with them and stand by them. And Lord, I'm praying for Dad as we thank you. I'm thanking you that uh, his surgery went well, that all all of the things that were expected actually did happen, and that his vision is improving. And we thank you for that, and we're asking you, Lord, that you prepare his mind and prepare the doctor's mind for the 12th of March when he's going to duplicate the process on the other eye. And we ask you, Lord, that you let that be another routine day for the doctors. Let nothing happen that they don't anticipate and have not prepared for. Just let things go well and go smoothly and go routinely that he might be able to recover from that situation as well. Praying for Marvin and Uncle Jab and Aunt Elizabeth. We're asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless Uncle James and Aunt Barbara as she's dealing with Alzheimer's. And we ask you, Lord, that you would, that you would make her cooperative with, with her family and just help, help them to get together and provide her with the kind of care that she needs, give her, uh, give her, uh, give her lucidity in her mind and continue to give her health and strength and keep Uncle James strong as well, that they might be able to deal with this situation together as a family. Just bless them in all that they do. Praying for Naomi, for Brother Bowie, and we thank you for him that he's been able uh, to have another kidney transplant and that he's doing well. We're just asking you, Lord, that you continue to be in that situation, go with him and stand by. Praying for Brother and Sister Northern and Brother and Sister Perkins who are raising those young children in Houston and in Louisiana. We just ask you that you go with them, stand by them and guide them and bless them in all that they do. Just keep us all. And the ones who are in Iraq, Brother Sifford and uh, Sister Grumelot, we ask you that you bless them as well. Keep them safe. And our Lord, we thank you for, for that, that which you have given us today, for your word and for this place with the things that we have to try to make the word plain and let it be a benefit, let it be of a benefit to some, someone that as they go down from their place, this place, they might resolve to do better in their own lives. Tell us you put, ask you to bless the tele television station, the Forgotten Man Ministry, we're asking that you bless all who are in the armed forces, both here and abroad. Just go with them and stand by them and bring them home safely at the conclusion of their tours. We're also praying, Lord, for uh, young men and women in this neighborhood and for the salvation of our family and friends, if there's any that don't know you in the pardon of their sins. And now, Lord, I pray for my wife, who's the love of my life. And I ask that you continue to bless us, allow us to enjoy these days that we have together, and this may bring us closer and closer together. And, Lord, we thank you for this place that you've given us here. Now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, arising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank God. Jesus came to a world in turmoil, and he brought a message of love. He said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. And he loved us so much that he gave his life on the old rugged cross. He died in our place and took the penalty that we owe for the sins that we have committed that we might have a right and a just right to the tree of life. And as we take this sacrament today, let us remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us and resolve to live lives of love before him. 
Let us remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. Remember the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. Rest in the Bible with us now, henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say,